Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting with me, your host, Chris New. Today we begin a second series of podcasts titled New World Under Construction, aimed at providing some insight from key players of the wealth and asset management industry, what it means to run and operate an investment management business as the industry looks to refocus and adapt to a post-COVID world. The theme of today's podcast is how do you sustain your sales, marketing and distribution efforts in the new world? The COVID lockdown has had a significant impact on the sales and marketing and distribution functions in the wealth and asset management industry. Can we expect the trends and models that have emerged during the crisis to remain and sustain in the new world? Overnight, we switched to digital and the remote interaction of due diligence. Will this remain? What type of other changes, innovations and developments can we expect in these areas? Today, I'm excited to be joined by two experts in sales and marketing and distribution. First, we have Ros Price, Senior Vice President at Brookfield Asset Management. She's responsible for the business development and capital partnering efforts with family offices, ultra high net worth individuals across the UK and Europe. Morning, Chris. Also with us, we have Andreas Funder, CEO of Instahub. He's founder of Instahub Analytics, a data analytics provider focused on optimizing the commercials and distribution within the asset management industry. Morning, Chris. Before we dive into today's theme, we normally have a a fun question or a teaser, uh, which is related to coffee. And my question to you is, what do you think is most likely to be the next innovation in coffee? So I'll leave that with you uh, until the end of the podcast. So uh, I guess COVID lockdown has had a significant impact on sales and marketing and distribution functions in the industry. Can we expect these trends and models that have emerged during the crisis to remain and sustain in the new world? Before we sort of kick into that topic, perhaps you can give us a a little couple of minutes on your journey in the um, industry and and what you're passionate about within sort of sales, marketing, distribution. Happy to. Today, I, I work in Brookfield's private funds group. I'm responsible for our relationships with uh, family offices and private wealth investors across Europe and the UK. And previously, I worked at PIMCO for a number of years, where I had several roles within the client-facing team, including oversight of the global uh, private banking platforms and managing the uh, sub-advisory business before then moving to the UK institutional team and leading the consultant relations Uh, group there. And I think what I've always loved uh, about each of the roles I've uh, been lucky to have is working with people and listening to uh, not necessarily problems, but things they they may be looking for. And sometimes even what they're not sure what they're looking for and trying to come up with with creative solutions for that. So very much a a people client focused sort of passion. Yes, very much. When I go to Andreas and your journey, um, we're going over to the data side, so I'm sure you come to the same place, but from a different perspective. If you could give a little bit about your journey and your passion. Actually, I, I started in a similar environment and then ended up somewhere else. I started my career with Fidelity International in its then Luxembourg-based call center. And after various different roles over the years, including operations, product development, strategy and marketing, I joined Alliance Bernstein another global asset manager in 2006 to build a global financial institutions group for mutual fund distribution through large global banks and wealth managers, as well as insurance groups across Asia and Europe, 
and Latin America. That came to an end with the financial crisis. Some of us may remember that in 2009, which led me to redirect my career to something that I came to really appreciate doing my sales job. And that was data and analytics, as you alluded to, Chris. And this is really to have the more sort of what can I do with the information, decide which prospects to go after, which clients to contact when in order to increase the chances of doing business with them on the basis of what investment strategies we were good at. So I took the opportunity when the financial crisis hit to redirect my career and joined Strategic Insights Business in Europe and Asia, which I was responsible to develop at the time. But fund flows only tell you so much. And I was always missing the, so how does this help me to convert insights into actual business opportunities? So after uh, fundraising in 2014, I finally started Instihub in 2015 as a data provider. And what we have developed are three unique data modules and our own front-end analytics interface through which distribution teams within sell-side asset managers and fund or mandate buyers alike can establish specific prospect lists. So that is a definite passion for analytics and, and data. If we go back to you again, Roz, to yeah. start saying what's been happening in your space from a sales, marketing, distribution aspect and sort of what we've learned in terms of lessons for that without sort of preempting the future um, landscape. Yes, of course. It was very clear to me, to our whole team, that the focus should be solely on uh, providing information. We were seeing for observations in the market, for um, talking what was happening to our assets, what we were seeing on the ground. And so that's really where the focus was. And I think this goes for most asset managers at the, at the time. You were seeing really strong swings, particularly in the liquid markets. And so there was this both a, a defensive reaction to what was going on, but also there was quite a bit of opportunistic activity going on as well, trying to take advantage of some of the very dislocated markets in both equities and corporate bonds and many subsectors of the market. So trying to talk to investors about those opportunities, but also uh, you know, reassuring them about how uh, their existing portfolios are, are doing. So there's a real balance to the, the narrative. And what um, would, so, so Ross, with that in terms of the, the sales that I would have done back in the noughties, that would have been taking clients out, building trust with them and building relationships with them on top of all the information flow they get every day. I mean, how, how did you overcome that? So what you have to do there, and of course, you're competing against every other asset manager who, to be honest, have had digitalized to, to some degree already, some very, very much at, at the forefront of that and very sophisticated platforms. So the key was to open all lines of communication, whether it was large webcasts where you could reach hundreds or thousands of people all at once, but then also strategy specific or even asset specific calls, which would be for a smaller group of investors uh, or pro prospects where you'd have, you know, maybe 50 to 100 people on a conference call or a video call. And, and then you'd have one-on-one -on -one meetings where investors really want to be able to speak to someone. And I sort of liken it, think back to when we moved to online banking and you still had people who had a preference to go into the branch and speak to someone. You, yeah. It was sort of a bit like that. So you had to adapt. You had to first offer all those different 
communication channels and make sure that you could optimize and reach all the investors and prospects you needed to, but then be able to uh, adapt as needed and customize to what the individual investor wanted. So it sounds like a, a bigger workload. Yeah, just a greater flexibility to, to be able to adapt and pivot uh, depending on what the situation requires. Which I guess, Andreas, that's where the data analytics will help you optimize your different approach to different channels. What was the experience for you? So it was a little bit difficult at the beginning uh, for the same reasons that Ross mentioned. We deal with buyers as well as asset managers, mostly sell-side asset managers, such as Ross and her organization. And as Ross said, our main clients were very much focused on servicing their clients. We had to be there to service our clients, the Rosses, but the Rosses weren't really interested in us providing data on opportunities or pinpointing any upcoming blow-ups of other people's funds where they may have an opportunity to reach out to a prospect because it was all about servicing clients. That lasted for a while until we heard from buyers, our buying clients, that they were really over it, that every asset manager was broadly giving them the same kind of market updates because nobody had anything really new, that differentiation is missing. And what the sell-side asset managers tried not to do from, as I perceived it, was to appear salesy at all. That's what it wasn't about. It was about servicing. And at some stage, buyers started to come back to the market. They saw market dislocations. They saw probably in around May time, mid-May, that a market momentum driven by equity, by gold, also fixed income in the riskier, fixed income asset classes that were backstopped by central banks and government support programs, that they were back in business again. They had to allocate money and they were ready again to do business. And in some European countries, such as in Italy and mostly on the continent, face-to-face meetings started happening more often again than in the UK, for example. What I find interesting was that there was this very big debate from sales heads that we deal with to say, It's all great to operate on a digital platform with existing clients on a servicing basis. Servicing implies they are existing clients. You can do cross-selling because you already know these relationships. You know the the trust base is there, even if you have another strategy. But how about targeting new prospects? How do we do that? People who we don't know, people who aren't within our own network, who we need to reach out with, where human contact. In the old world, you would have taking people out for a meal or get to know them a little bit. That is not possible so much in a digital transaction-based environment. From a data perspective, it is very good for us. For us, COVID has been a good development because of two factors, really. Sales heads are keen to not necessarily reduce but contain their cost of doing sales. That means that sales staff need to become more effective. They need to become more productive. And what that means is to pinpoint very, very clearly, not only the right names to contact, but also the timing, when to get in touch with people. And that's what our data can do because it's fully transparent. Everybody knows who is holding who, who does what mandate for whom, who is being divested from. The buyers know this as well. They have the same information. So you can be very specific in drawing up your prospect list and 
find ways of finding information about clients, their buying preferences, how much liquidity they sit on, that kind of thing, in order to start a sensible conversation that is differentiated on one hand, but also very relevant to a new prospect. Make it interesting for the client so they take a meeting eventually or spend more time for follow-up calls. But my question really is to Ross, how do you, or do you see a differentiation between servicing existing clients and what may some of the difficulties be in targeting prospects that you don't know for new sales in a digital world? So it's a key question, uh, Andreas, and it really is uh, so critical to how, how I think the future success uh, of asset management, certainly sales teams within asset management will be, because there's sort of a shield that's gone up. You, we're not going out and having coffees with prospective investors the way we often did in the past. And time, because of this, everyone is distributing information, is sending out updates on their various new strategies coming to market, that investors are being inundated as well. So you've got to find the point of differentiation. What makes your organization different or the strategy different? Not only that, but you have to your earlier point data is becoming critically important. If it wasn't already for sales teams, it certainly is today on finding not only your prospective investors, but interested prospective investors. It's just an absolute waste of time knocking on doors without knowing whether that prospect is actually interested in the asset class or the strategy. It's just wasted time. So now you've got to be smarter about how you approach the sales process. And that means leveraging the technology, that means mining information, and then being smarter about how you go out and execute your sales plan. I would imagine actually getting that kind of quality data and insight, either you hire Andreas and, and he'll solve all your problems for you. But even then, there's the execution and the implementation of that. We call the new world under construction. It's, it's not just about knowing what the future is about. It's about building it. Maybe, Andreas, you can tell us once you've got clients on board with the idea that data is the way forward, how do people actually implement that and build that? It's a good question. <laughs> they are, our clients are a little bit stuck in the old world that way. If I can just describe some of the conversations we are having with new prospects is to say, can you provide us data via an automated programming interface, an API directly into our system so we don't need to use your front end? Those are the firms that are wanting to be seen as avant-garde in leveraging data. Until you offer a meeting with their technology people, with their business management executives for distribution, for us, quite frankly, it means that once your data gets pumped into a client organization's internal systems and disseminated there, it's very unlikely that they're going to cancel the subscription because it's everywhere within their organizations. But what we find is that they're not actually ready. They're still scrambling on cleaning up their own internal data for client relationship management systems, CRM systems, for example, on yep. existing data, their positions, their activities, the data that you get out is only as good as the data that goes in. 
And unless there is a very rigid approach in sales management to be saying every salesperson has to enter data in a standardized way and the operation systems have to interact with the CRM systems too, you aren't ready to take external data and somehow knit that up with your internal data. So what do those do that do use our data effectively? Well, they have analyst teams and they also have senior salespeople who are humble enough to appreciate that, yes, they know what's going on in the industry, but they can't pinpoint at any point in time what a given client holds and what they actually do. So what they do is salespeople use a system almost as a grazing tool before they go into a client meeting to see, I'm meeting client X, who do they currently do business with? What new products have they launched recently? Who have they appointed? Who have they canceled? Do they like dealing with small companies, with large mega companies? Do they want to do co-branding of their products? What is their preference? Do they have a preference for passive? Do they sit on large liquidities? Just to find an angle for meeting preparation. So meeting preparation is one thing. And then the analyst teams go in and establish sales plans to say, what is our addressable market? Not what does some consultant tell us, the overall invested assets in, say, for argument's sake, Germany or Italy is, but what is our addressable market with our specific product capability that we have and who are the key competitors and how successful are they? And I think COVID has only accelerated the investment in having the capabilities to clean up that data and bring in external data that is meaningful to pinpoint to new business and establish sales pipelines. I mean, I think that in the many clients we've been in, there's data is always an issue. And I think anyone who works in the industry will know that. Does that, does that ring true with you, Rose? Yeah, what, I was going to say what, what Andreas has just described, particularly that API, having those interfaces that provide automatic feeds provides a real benefit to organizations. I think every asset manager struggles with keeping their CRM system clean, up to date. And, and so having an interface that can help you with that, keep it sort of an evergreen flow of updated information. So you know, when you're looking up a, a particular investor in preparation for a meeting, that data is accurate. It may be critically important, or it just gives a different starting point that discussion with the client. So I think it, we're certainly looking at a future that has uh, a lot more embedded technology in the tools that we're using, whether it's on the, the sales side or on the support and servicing part of the business. It's going to require leadership and sort of buy-in from different teams. For me, summarizing some of the, the feedback you've given as we've, we've sort of gone from a, a world, you know, where we were updating and servicing clients, we then realized there was allocation of assets and that required actually the sales process to work as well. And this is sort of, as I think Andrea said, you know, accelerated the need to, to differentiate yourself if you're not sort of having that traditional relationship as much in order to get that sort of face-to-face meeting. You need either data or insight or, or know where you can go with that. That new world to be constructed needs, needs leadership, it needs buy-in, or people just need to be ready. I, I would add to it in order to, there, that really focuses all you've described on, on the journey to get the new or, or succeed in bringing new clients on board. And once you have those uh, relationships, you then want to use different, albeit ones that still leverage technology in, in increasing ways. You, like if I think about certain marketing tools that 
are embedded in the communication that goes out digitally to uh, investors now. There's so much in that. It, there's embedded software that allows an asset manager to track you know, how long someone is reading a piece, where they're reading it, what they're clicking on next. And so you're following the journey and it can be, I mean, we're talking sometimes a two second journey and yeah. that's important and where they go next. And all of that information, when you think about compiling a larger database of that type of, of behavior set, that can really inform an asset manager on how to deliver information. Andreas, do you concur with that? You know, the champagne days are over and it's all about using that data and that insight. Look, I think there is a very clear need still for in-person meetings to finalize a deal, to sign a deal. What I'm missing in digital communication is the spontaneity of human interaction. It is the exchange of information that is unplanned and unforeseen, just the throwaway comment on which you can build in a conversation that is much easier to be had over a coffee than it is in a video call where the agenda is set and it's transactional and you get right to the point of what you want to discuss. But that is not the way that humans tell stories necessarily. It's not the way that humans establish a thread of a very wide range of even personal interests that you can piggyback off and, and, and deepen a relationship going forward. That is currently out of the picture. And I'm really missing this myself, being quite a sociable person myself. When it comes to, however, business management and, and planning, then yes, the direction is clearly into a far more data-centric way. What I also think is necessary to look at a little bit more is risk management. What we are talking here about is servicing existing clients. It is doing new business. But what about retaining existing business? I think there has been too little focus on that. And when you look at how asset management companies measure their success in growth sales, for example, that almost suggests that they're happy with churning. Where we need to go to and what data lends itself more and more for is also risk management. When is a client more likely to be divesting from me because I have, for example, reached the average holding period of their usual behavior? I might want to go in earlier to see what my chances are of prolonging a mandate or what could give them cause to divest from me or to use predictive analytics. And we haven't even touched on that, but yes. there is so much to do with predictive analytics also to say now is a good time to be contacting a client or careful here if you're part of a fund of fund or manager or manager arrangement where they use different sleeves of different managers to feed one fund and they're gradually divesting from you as benchmarked against the others who are inside that portfolio, there is something wrong and you're going to lose them. They're going to divest fully from you at some point. When is that point reached? And this is what we're getting into now, building the analytics part on the basis of the data that we've got is to come up with some predictive analytics. Actually, what, what Andreas has brought up, that's the puzzle that you really want to crack with, particularly in private market space, where you have distributions being thrown off from funds over time and then you want to know you want to keep up to date with what the needs of the client are where their expectations are for future allocations and really where they are in their investment cycle and the more information you have on that uh, the better prepared you are for to be ready for 
new conversations, new opportunities, et cetera. My, my takeaway is going to be that the human interaction is still there as well at the end. I think that's our positive note. Yeah, I'm so delighted. It was the tech expert, the data guy who, who highlighted that point. I agree 100%, but I'm glad that message came from him. Absolutely, I think <laughs> so. You're very passionate about that, Ross. I think it's time to go to our answer on um, what we think the insight for the next coffee and innovation is. So I'm going to go to you, Andrea, first. What what do you think is going to happen next in this space? We don't have data on coffee, but selfishly, being a caffeine addict, I'd like to see a way to straight line coffee all day long into (laughs) me somehow. And if possible, without any tubes, so just that it sort of diffuses into my system remotely and uh, via radio or something like that. Coffee by osmosis via an app. There we go. You heard it here first. Roz. I've seen the next step towards, you know, future of coffee. And that was something our firm did to adapt in the COVID environment. When we started coming back into the office as early as as mid-June, the the coffee machines in, in the various kitchens around the office turn to touchless brew. You could download an app on your phone and brew the coffee through the app uh, so that you didn't have to touch the screen on uh, to press, you know, cappuccino, two shots. Uh, you could do that all through your phone and end up with your cup of coffee and still use your reusable cup, Chris. Ah. Um, and no one else needs to touch it. So I think that was, a, was an interesting advancement and also adaptation to the environment we live in today. Well, there you go. Brookfield is already ahead of the game there. I love it. <laughs> Thank you both so much for what has been uh, genuinely a fascinating podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much for having you. us. Thank you to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And what's, I think, been uh, a very positive discussion about the future world in terms of sales and marketing. And uh, certainly there's a huge amount of work to do. It's going to keep the tech and sales teams busy uh, for the next 12 months. We look forward to grabbing another cup of coffee with Algamy Consulting with you all in the next of our series of podcasts on the theme of new world under construction in the wealth and asset management industry. If you want to discuss this podcast further with us, or you have any questions or would like to be part of the next uh, episodes in our series of New World Under Construction, please get in touch with us through info at alchemy-consulting.com or via LinkedIn Alchemy Consulting.